All right, here we go. Uh, week four of the Softy Hawk Blogger podcast. Oh, boy, continues. And, uh, boy, we were uh, tinkering with the idea of ditching this whole bad boy altogether. But the Seahawks went out and won a football game last week, 26 nothing over Chicago, which apparently, like, broke the Bears because they're selling off every piece they've got that's worth anything after starting 0-3 and getting thumped by the Seahawks uh, last week. But now we turn our attention to the Lions and Golden Tate and Matt Stafford and Calvin Johnson on uh, on Monday night. Uh, we'll get a recap of the Bears game as well with our buddy Brian Nemhauser from hawkblogger.com. What's up, man? Nothing, Dave. You know, I'm I'm happy that they won. I'm I'm ha- even happier that I get another week to talk to you. Me too. Uh, really, that is really all that matters. I mean, to hell with what's happening on Sunday or Monday. I, I just like talking to you every week. I mean, heck, we, right. may, we may just have to continue this over the offseason and just talk, you know, yeah. about what I have no idea, but we'll just chat. Uh, how about how about last week? Uh, you know, again, a, a slow start offensively, but boy, oh boy, man, that offensive line played a lot different, I thought, in the second half. Maybe it was because of the scheme. Uh, Tyler Lockett seems to have erased every single problem they had with the return game a year ago, which was a disaster last year. It's not a disaster anymore. Uh, how about some general thoughts from last Sunday? You know, you know me, Softy. I don't know I, you at all, really, to be honest me. with you. I am, I, am, I am a little bit off. I'm a little bit different. Yeah. And – so, you know, where I think people were really concerned when the Seahawks went 0-2 and that they lost in Green Bay, I was feeling actually pretty encouraged by what I saw in that game. And after a week when, you know, the Seahawks went 26 to nothing, I was pretty discouraged by a lot of what I saw in that game. So, um, you know, I thought it was a, a pretty big step back in a lot of ways um, from the previous week, and the offensive line play was the biggest part of that. Um you know, I, I thought the offensive line was – they looked like the first game of the preseason, yeah. um, you know, that in, in a lot of ways. And also concerning was the run defense. Um, and the first half was, was really not playing well. Um, and if not for, you know, Tyler Lockett getting that opening kickoff return and for, you know, I think a, a very beneficial call from uh, the replay officials to not say that was a uh, fumble um, on the punt that uh, hit the Seahawks player and bounced out of bounds yep. or bounced uh, to a bear. Brock Coyle, right. Yeah, yeah. that that could have been a very different game. So, um, you know, I don't think the Seahawks come into this game Monday, or they shouldn't, feeling like, all right, now we're, we're on a roll. I, I don't think they've even you know, taking a step forward uh, hmm. quite yet. Well, going back to the to the run game on, on Sunday, at least the uh, the run defense, yeah, Forte had like 50 yards in the first 20 minutes of the game, and then they kind of bottled him up a bit. I mean, part of that, obviously, in the second half was the fact that Bears were down 20 to nothing, and the Bears had, or the, yeah, they had no choice but to throw the football. You know, I mean, I was, I was concerned about that. Uh, the way the offensive line came out in the first half, I mean, I remember just saying to people around me that would listen that, man, they look like crap. In the first half, and and you're right, it was like the first game of the preseason, or maybe week three of the preseason when they finally got that fivesome together. But they just seem to be a different football team when they open up the offense and have Russell on the move. Uh, we saw that in the second half against Green Bay. We saw that in the second half against Chicago. Uh, and I, I'm with you. I don't know if you heard my show Monday, but I, I left the clink on Sunday feeling more disappointed than thrilled about having the first shutout of the year in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, I think that's that that accurately describes kind of the way I felt. I mean, obviously, you want to win. You're happy the team won. You're never gonna look at a 26 nothing loss and and really be upset about it by any stretch. Um, but 
you know, the expectations, the standards this team has are, are high. And it doesn't really matter who they're playing. Um, you know, either they meet their own standard or they don't. And that was not a game that I felt like the Seahawks met their standard. I think special teams certainly did. You know, this is now the number one ranked special teams in the NFL. And, um, you know, you know, well-earned. And I expect that's going to be something they can continue throughout the season. Um, I think the defense, uh, you might be surprised to know, um, now is, is averaging, you know, allowing less points um, and I believe even less yards per game than they did for the first three games of last year, mm. um, which is, is a little surprising. But, but um, you know, the offense, it, it, uh, it's still finding its way. And, and, and I think one of the things that people don't talk enough about is I think they've got to find a way to get Tyler Lockett a little bit more involved as well. Um, I think he's, he's clearly such a dynamic weapon, yeah. and the guy's just not even getting the ball other than on these bubble screens. Um, you know, he needs to be involved more. Well, you know, I remember talking about that over the offseason, that, hey, look, everybody's just kind of going to pencil this guy in as a return specialist, but let's not sleep on him as a wide receiver. He caught like 150 balls his last two years at Kansas State. So I'm with you. I'd love to see him get more involved as well. And, uh, I look, I'll tell you what was really discouraging for me, and it's not a surprise to anybody, but, man, there were times watching Jimmy Graham try and block somebody where he just looked <laughs> awful, awful. I mean, those back-to-back sacks by Pernell McPhee in the third quarter, one of them allowed by Jimmy Graham. And, I, you know, like I get Tom Cable. He wants to prop the guy up, and he, and he wants to, you know, think he can turn him into a solid blocker. But did you hear Carroll's uh, answer yesterday when I asked him about Jimmy Graham's blocking so far? Uh, I I remember vaguely. I, remember I asked him. I asked him about his blocking, and he said, "Well, he's willing, and he's he's learning." <laughs> I was like, "Hey, that's good. At least he's willing to to block." But you know, Holmgren's on yesterday on the show, and he says he he would never ever in a passing situation ever have Jimmy Graham blocking a defensive end ever. Uh, and they had that situation come up a couple times in the game on on Sunday, and I thought you know he just looked awful from a blocking perspective. And I wonder how much that's going to hamper them uh, moving forward. Yeah, it's, it is a mystery how that is. And it's not just this year. I mean, uh, all the way back to when Cable's been here, um, you know, 2011 or so, uh, he's been asking tight ends to function as tackles. Um, and when they had Zach Miller, that was okay. Viable, yeah, you know, in right. some cases, um, in some cases, Zach Miller was a better, pass blocking tackle than the tackles they did have. Um, but that's not the case. Luke Wilson, not a great blocker, but he is worlds better than Jimmy Graham. So look, you know, neither you or I are, are offensive line coaches. Um, but I think anybody can see that Jimmy Graham is not capable of blocking if any consistency on the edge. Yep. That seems like a pretty obvious you know, adjustment to make. So maybe, you know, the team needs to think about that. Um, but, but, you know, you know, as well as I do, Tom Cable's a stubborn guy. I don't see any reason to expect he's going to change anytime soon. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you know, Pete, Pete, uh, I think has given himself a little slack uh, when they say week eight or nine of the regular season uh, is what he said yesterday when the offensive line is going to be clicking. So if they don't have it figured out by then, uh, then I think you will see some kind of change in philosophy, but the problem is you got five more games to go. You want to keep your quarterback standing tall. Uh, the other thing that's, uh, that stood out to me about the Bears game on uh, on Sunday uh, was the fact the Hawks were 0 for 6 on third down in the first half. The only conversion they had was on fourth down. 
uh, when they had that uh, that little swing pass to Marshawn that he bobbled and caught for the first down. Outside of that, they were they were 0 for 6 on third down. Um, I thought that the play calling in the red zone once Jermaine got to the three was okay. Uh, the uh, the toss to Jimmy Graham didn't seem to be executed greatly on either side, either Russell or Jimmy. And then I saw your tweet about the third down play to Chris Matthews where Russell threw like a Randy Johnson 125-mile-an-hour fastball at him, and he had no shot at all to catch that football. So I, I guess it's just a reminder that sometimes when the Hawks don't score in the red zone, it's not all Daryl Bevel's fault. Sometimes it actually is execution. That's a, that's great. That's a great point. And, and, and I think I, you know, I, I heard some of the criticism about Russell on the throw to Jimmy. I felt like, look, Graham's been beating the drum about, uh, you know, don't worry. I'm always open. Just get it near me. That was plenty close enough. And he had, you know, a good uh, position to make the play. That's a play he's got to make. That's what he's getting paid for. And if he wants to get more opportunities, that's the way to do it. Um, you know, make that play. And the throw to Matthews, you know, clearly it, it just – there are these moments, uh, Softy, where it just feels like you see Russell is still not quite mature enough. Um, like he just does what he's told in some cases. And, you know, think about the situation. Know that you have a little bit of time to put some air under that ball. And, and you know, give his, your player a chance to make the play. Chris Matthews had zero chance, zero yeah. chance to yeah. make that catch. Yeah. So, you know, why even throw it at that at that point? So, yeah. No, I agree, no, I agree with that. And then, you know, Thomas Rawls, man, uh, watching him play on Sunday, it's way too early to sit here and say that they found the heir apparent to Marshawn Lynch, and, and let's hope that they don't need to worry about that for another couple years or so. But it seems like with Marshawn, you're always kind of on the edge of that being potentially possible. But, man, Brian, I don't know about you, and I, I noticed this with Le'Veon Bell in the Steeler game last night against Baltimore. When you give the ball to a running back and, and he can sit there and wait and wait and wait for a hole to open up behind the line of scrimmage and then just pop it, I get turned on watching that. I don't know about you, but that really is exciting to see a guy that's starting, uh, really getting his first action of his NFL career uh, in his third game as a pro to be that mature where he's just not, you know, get the ball, go. He's waiting for a hole to open up. I mean, we saw three or four opportunities or situations, I thought, on Sunday where he was just patient behind the line of scrimmage. The hole's not there that was called. Let's find this one, and he picks up four or five yards. I, look, I mean, I know you were high on Kristen Michael, and we'll see. Sounds like he may end up getting a chance to play this weekend versus Dallas. Uh, but I, I, I really like what I saw in Rawls on Sunday, man. Yeah, I, I wrote on, on Monday after the game, like, you know, headline, I was wrong. Like, uh, Rawls for me is a guy that I just, in practice, in the games, uh, preseason games, I saw a passable, serviceable runner. And um, not a lot more than that. I seemed like a solid player, but nothing great. Um, what I saw on Sunday, um, it wasn't even the plays where he broke to the outside and had a wide open space to run and then hit guys. You know, that's all good. That was fun. But there was a number of plays, three or four plays, where he gets the handoff to the right side of the line, sees an opening three holes over, when with one cut moves three to four yards to his left. Mm. And, then, and then another cut drives through that hole. And he was only gaining four or six yards on those plays, but the vision – the lateral quickness, the power, the decisiveness, that's all stuff that Tom Cable can work with. Like, that's enough. Like, I, it's amazing that after that one game, I do feel comfortable saying, 
yeah, the Seahawks can let Marshawn Lynch sit out for a week if they need to, because I think this guy can get at least 70% of the yards that Marshawn would. Yeah. No, he looked good, and uh, I think you'll see a lot more of him this weekend because either uh, Marshawn's not going to play or he's not going to be 100%, and you'll see a lot more rolls on Monday night versus the Lions. So uh, the Lions are a one-dimensional offense, Brian. Uh, They actually are third in the NFL in pass attempts and dead last in running attempts. Matter of fact, they haven't had a 100-yard back since the middle of the 2013 season when Reggie Bush pulled it off. And as a matter of fact, in the last 56 games, they've only had a 100-yard back four times. Three of those belong to Reggie Bush, and the other one belongs to LaShore. So they they are – it's obvious what the Lions are going to try and do. And I guess just thinking about the possibility of the Lions running the ball on the Seahawks defense kind of makes me sick just thinking about it. If they come in here and are able to run the ball, I think that's a very, very bad sign for the Seahawks defense. But – um, I don't know, man. I think the Hawks get right, uh, you know, uh, defensively. They are only one of three teams in the NFL without a pick. I think the Saints and Redskins are the other two. Stafford's thrown five in three games. So um, I'm uh, actually feeling uh, pretty confident about the defensive uh, performance that we'll see on Monday night. What about you? Yeah, I, I think um, Stafford's an interesting one there. I mean, I think uh, I, I was doing some research yesterday and the day before and, and published some stuff today around this is a guy that um, is throwing the ball quicker than he ever has before. Um, 70% of his throws are happening in two and a half seconds or less. Um, he is more accurate in that he's completing a higher percentage of his passes than he normally does. He's usually one of the least accurate passers. Uh, in the NFL for completion rate. Um, but yet, he, and he's being sacked less. That all makes sense, right? Throw quicker, get sacked less. But he's being pressured more. So I don't exactly understand how that's happening. He's being pressured on, on almost 42% of his dropbacks. And here's the one that really gets me, Dave, that's, that's curious for, for, for Detroit. Um, Stafford, the last three years, the percentage of his pass attempts that went traveled over 20 yards in the air it was 12 percent in 2012 12 percent in 2013 11 percent in 2014 you want to take a guess at what it is this year well i'm assuming it's going backwards uh nine percent three percent ah wow that is surprising so all of a sudden he's they've turned him into a dink and dunk passer um and yet He's throwing faster, he's getting sacked less often, he's completing more, but he's still throwing interceptions. Yeah. So, like, it's a very confusing picture for Matt Stafford. I think um, he is not playing his best. I think the, the Seahawks, you know, the, the, the Lions are going to be losing their best pass rusher, and, and Ezekiel Ayansa doesn't look like he's going to play. Um, they've only got four sacks on the season. He's got two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, yeah, this is a situation that the Seahawks absolutely, there's no doubt, are the better team. Um, I think the thing that Seahawks fans got to watch out for is a guy like Haloti Nagata, Nagata um, in the middle yeah. of that yeah. uh, line. Um, you saw what B.J. Raji did, um, and, and I think uh, you know that Haloti's better than him. So you've got to watch out for that. But, but, yeah, the Seahawks, as long as they don't turn the ball over, um, the Seahawks should be in really good shape to win this game. Yeah, well, you talked about uh, how often Stafford's getting pressured just based on a percentage of dropbacks. He's, what, number two in the NFL? Is that right, yes. in that category? Yeah. You, you know who's number three behind him? <laughs> yeah, I do. 
I do. He 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 plays for the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, yeah. but that's been the case ever since he showed up here. I think he was well, number, you know number one a year ago in that category, number one two years ago in that category. You know, the thing was though, uh, until last week, you know, they were significantly better. They were down to thirty-seven percent. Um, you know, and, and last week was just a huge step backwards for that offensive line um, against really a not that great Bears defensive right, line. Right. Well, and the Bears came in with zero sacks on the year. They got how many on us last four. year? Four. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, the idea that the Lions don't have a ton of sacks, uh, I mean, they, they might be feeling that this is the week where they get well in that category because they're facing the Seahawks offensive line. And what I want is for the Seahawks offensive line in week four, we've reached the quarter pole, for God's sakes, to have a solid game from beginning to end. I'm also kind of hoping it doesn't really matter if they win the game, but I want to see the offense get off to a fast start. I don't know if you heard the numbers I threw out there. The last time, Brian, the Seahawks scored a touchdown on their opening offensive drive of the game was when? Any idea? Uh, Man, you don't pay attention to anything. Last year? It was last year. It was week 10 of last year against the Giants with Marshawn. So they've played 13 straight games without scoring a touchdown on their opening drive. And they only have two offensive touchdowns in those 13 games, one by Doug and one by Robert Turbin. Uh, the third one came on Lockett's punt return in week one of this year against the Rams. But they've only scored twice, uh, two, two offensive TDs in the first quarter in the last 13 games. Is that concerning at all? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I, I think, um, you know, Pete has been joking about it lately, but, you know, this, this concept of finishing, you know, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Yeah. I think that's, that's true. Uh, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be starting well. And it doesn't excuse, you know, coming out of the gate slowly. So, um, yeah, it, it, it is a concern. It is not the chief concern. I mean, I think realistically, Dave, what I would trade right now a really solid red zone um, offense that, that, you know, once they get there, they're, making, they're taking advantage of those opportunities. Right. Over a fast starting offense, but and that's right now, but that's part of the reason. Red zone last week again, right? But that's but that's part of the reason why they're not scoring touchdowns in the first quarter is because they're getting to the red zone in the first quarter and they're taking three. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think the red zone to me is where I would focus on offense more than anything else. Um, and you know, I I do think they're close. I do think that they are. They have some potential there. Um, and I think a lot of it, a lot of it, rides on Russell Wilson. Right. Well, he, uh, yeah, there's no question about that. Um, before you go, uh, Golden Tate coming back to the clink on Monday night uh, against the Seahawks. You know, I, I got fond memories of Golden. I, I just have this thing that anybody who was a part of that Super Bowl championship team kind of has their name etched in stone in this town forever. And I guess Percy's a part of that because he was a part of that team. But there are some people out there that were turned off by Golden Tate. You know, that stupid rumor about him and Russell's wife which, by the way, the girl that he was with when all that supposedly went down, he just got engaged to. So either A, she's very forgiving, or B, it never happened like that. Uh, but, you know, the finger wag against the Rams, you know, breaking into a top pot donuts, uh, missing, I think, his first game as a pro because he was inactive. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I've got some pretty solid memories of Golden. How about you? Yeah, Golden Tate was a, a great Seahawk, and, um, you know, he was part of the personality of this organization. Yep. He, yes, he was brash, um, but he played physical. Um, he beat the crap out of opposing defensive players. Sean Lee can tell you all about that. Oh, yeah. You know, this guy, he played right. He played 
you know, through injury, he played physically. He was reliable as heck once he once he got once he really understood what it meant to be a pro receiver. You know, this is a guy that caught almost every ball that touched his hand, made huge plays, um, and I think even as much as I appreciated him when he was here, I don't think I realized how good he was until he left because the Seahawks haven't been able to replace him. Um, you know, you've got a six foot five guy in Chris Matthews that they still don't throw the ball down the field as often as they did to Golden Tate um, for whatever reason. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's going to be great. I'll certainly be cheering for him. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll be uh, happier when he's leaving with a loss. No doubt. All right, man. Good stuff. And uh, we will catch you up next week before the Bengal game. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Dave. All right. Brian Nemhauser. Find him on Twitter at HawkBlogger, on the web at HawkBlogger.com. Lots of great analysis on the website. And the great thing about it is it's actually free. No charge at all to you, the consumer. So check it out, HawkBlogger.com.